Well, it was also during the beginning of that time that uh, I started to realize what made me different than, than the rest of the boys that I had in my life. You know, it, it, I was about 11 years old, and you're going to junior high, and that's kind of an awkward, difficult time for everyone. Uh, you're getting feelings for people that you've never felt before. You're starting to notice things. All my friends were starting to notice girls and develop this attraction towards them. And I wasn't at all. I was feeling those same feelings for other guys. And I had no idea why I was feeling these feelings. And I, I'd grown up in rural conservative churches where I'd always heard it preached that homosexuality is a sin. And but I'd always heard it preached from a very kind of self-righteous, legalistic standpoint that that's the one unforgivable sin, that that sin is so much worse than every other sin. And so just having these feelings and attractions, I was filled with shame and guilt, and, and it just started consuming, and I, I didn't want that. Uh, but I had no idea why I was having these feelings. And my family life was such a kind of a mess at the time that I just didn't really have anyone I felt like I could talk to. And so, uh, um, as, so over the next couple of years, I just kept my secret. Um, it was also during that time of my parents' divorce that my whole family really walked away from Christianity and the church. Um, they, uh, we, we had such a difficult time with, with the divorce and spiritual issues there that they just kind of gave up on God and on Christianity and walked away from it. But I still had this desire that I want to know this guy named Jesus. I wanted to have a relationship with God. So I kept going to church or on at least a youth group on Wednesday nights. By the time I was 13, my struggle felt like it was getting just way worse. Uh, and so it, it felt like uh, these thoughts and these feelings and these attractions are just consuming more and more of my mind. And, and so I, I decided that I just had to tell someone. I had to tell someone what's going on, and I needed to get some answers. And uh, the, the first person I could think of was maybe a youth group pastor or a youth group leader um, at, at my church. So I decided, well, I should tell them and just try to get some answers, see why I'm having these feelings. And so... Uh, I, I decided to do that, but before I got the courage to do that, one night I'm sitting at the youth group, there's about 30 of us uh, sitting on the floor, and the youth pastor made a comment that forever changed my life. Uh, I'm sitting there and he says, I wish all homosexuals would die. And that moment felt like a knife to my chest. It, I remember sitting there as this confused, hurting 13-year-old, and uh, it felt, I, I remember thinking, he's talking about me when he said that. And I, I was just frozen. I didn't know what to think, what to say, what to do. And I went home that night as a 13-year-old, and I came very close to ending my life that night. Because I thought, that if it's God's will for all homosexuals to die, then I guess I will. And so it was nothing but the grace of God that I, I did take my life that night. I was just about to push the trigger on the gun when I heard my mom walk in the front door. And I heard put the gun away and didn't do it. So I didn't take my life that night, but that was just the start of a downward spiral in my life. It was that moment where I put up a wall around myself. And I said, I guess I can't let anyone in. I can't let anyone see who I am. I can't let anyone uh, see what I'm struggling with. I have to keep this to myself. And that was the moment that I started to just build this trust towards Christians. I never went back to church. I never went back to youth group. I developed this just disdain for Christians and their God because of the just the judgment and the hate I received from them. So I was just really confused going through the rest of high school. I, I was wrestling with um, identity and, and, and now wrestling with, like, am I gay? What does this mean for my life? 
uh, you know, ever have a wife, uh, try to just accept this identity. At that time, you know, uh, this was just being talked about in our culture a lot more, and they're telling us in the media that this is just the way that you are, and you need to accept it. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to try to do that. And so, but I was still really conflicted about it on the inside. Well, it was soon after the uh, incident at church that I discovered online pornography for the first time. And so online pornography for me was more than just a sexual addiction that I was, I was instantly just, uh, um, my heart was uh, consumed by. But to me, pornography felt like my only community. It felt like my only outlet where I could have people who related to me, who had the same feelings as me, who understood me. It was completely in this online world of darkness, but that's the only place where I could go where it felt like I could feel some type of normalcy. Well, soon after that, um, these feelings and uh, addictions kept getting stronger, and I was still really wrestling with them inside. And soon after that, I started experimenting in same-sex relationships and sexual encounters, and um, just started to gravitate more towards that life, and just started to accept that this is who I am, I'm just gay, and that, that's, that's, that's all there is to it. Um, but the, so I started just entering into relationships, started doing some dating. Uh, where I was from at that time, about 15 years ago, it was much more underground, much less accepted, so, and it stayed much more secretive than most people today. But it felt like this is just what my heart needs, this is what I'm longing for. It felt like this is who I am, and this is what I have to have. I remember some days waking up, uh, and, and saying that I just have to fulfill these desires. And so I find ways to do that through sexual encounters, through relationships, through uh, these connections with other men. And part of it felt great. Part of it felt like I'm finally getting what I, I've always wanted. I'm finally fulfilling these desires. But at the same time, uh, after every encounter, every relationship, there's something inside of me telling me there's something not quite right about this. There's something that uh, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way that I'm supposed to be, be living. But I just felt like this is the way I am. I have no choice in this. Uh, it felt like this is the way that God created me to be. And I was still on this spiritual journey of uh, wanting to have a relationship with the Lord. Um, but I was under the impression that uh, with my same-sex desires, with my gay identity and the life I was living, that the Lord didn't love me that, I, that uh, I had to completely walk away from that part of my life. I had to fix myself. I had to change myself before God could love me. And I tried doing that, and I couldn't. So then I was just convinced, I guess God doesn't love me. Or uh, one of the questions I was asking is, how can a loving God create me in a way that's going to condemn me to hell? So my answer to that is that I guess God is not a loving God. And so I was just... Uh, pretty bitter and angry towards God, towards Christians. I was living a life that, uh, the only life I knew how that I could somehow be happy, that this is just who I am, and this is what I have to do. So that's really where I was when I went to college. Um, uh, I, I was just trying my best to accept this identity, that this is who I am, uh, this is how God made me, and I can find happiness in, them, in this. Well, the moment I stepped on campus, I went to a, I went to a small college in Nebraska called Shattered State College. And the moment I stepped on the campus, I was met with this, this group of guys. Uh, they're involved in a Christian ministry on campus. And these guys just formed friendships with me. They started to just hang out with me. They started to uh, invest in my life. Um, I, I started to go to the ministry on campus that's somewhat like this. 
And um, I, I, I hear them talk about spiritual things. I hear them talk about the Lord. But at this point, I'm so hard-hearted and bitter. And I thought, like, no, God just can't love me. And that I, I kept going back because of the relationships that these guys built with me. I kept going back because these guys gave me a place where I could belong. And they, they would ask me questions about my spiritual life. They knew that I was not on the same page as them. They knew that there were some, some issues going on there that I was hiding from them. But they never gave up on me. They spent two years unconditionally loving me uh, and pursuing me and and just doing things to serve me with the love of Christ that I never imagined people could do. Well, after my sophomore year, um, I just became depressed about my life. It seemed like uh, the more of this life I had with the LGBT community, the, the less it was satisfying me. My soul was just, it felt like thirsting for something so much more, but I could not figure out what that was. Well, I hadn't realized through this time, these two years, how this group of guys in my life, uh, the Lord was just using them to soften my heart. Um, I remember thinking, as these guys just loved me really well, served me really well, um, did anything they could to, to, to love me, I remember thinking that that can't be them who loves me, it has to be the Jesus I see in them who loves me. Because these guys weren't just Christians who showed up at church on Sundays and went through the motions and did all the right religious things, these guys were actually real and authentic about their faith. They were open about the struggles, about how they're sinners too. And, and they, they repented of the things that they're doing wrong as they're convicted of it. And they're so open about these things that I could see their, their faith changing their life. Well, I came to a breaking point that summer where I came to a place where I was really suicidal. And I was just hopeless. And because I felt like nothing in this life is going to satisfy me. Uh, but I, I decided that um, uh, before I ended my life, I wanted to tell some of my Christian friends about this other life I'm living. Because uh, at this point, when I went to college, I kept it as double life, and they didn't know about the whole life that I was living in the LGBT community. And so I noticed that now is nothing but the grace of God, and I decided to tell them that. Uh, I called one guy, his name was Lex, one of these friends of mine, he was a Christian, and I expected Lex to just reject me and to condemn me, um, because that's the image I had of every Christian. And I was so scared to tell him that I couldn't get the words out of my mouth, so I actually wrote him the letter. And when I handed him the letter, we're in my stepdad's house, and I actually said, if he rejects me, that's just going to be the end of it. That's going to be the end of my life. I'm going to end it. Well, I'm standing here today, so obviously Lex didn't reject me. Instead, he talked to me about God's love and God's grace. And uh, um, about how we're all sinners and all of our sin is equal. His is no better word, no better than mine or no worse than mine. He's talking about how he loved me and he's going to fight with me through this. And he didn't know what that was going to look like, but we're going to get this through, through this together. And that was the first time I've actually felt love like for Christians. Because beforehand, these guys were loving me really, really well. But all these kind of secrets I was keeping from them, I thought that... They love the person I think I, they think I am. They're, they don't love the real me. If they knew all the junk in my life, they wouldn't love me. But here we were, uh, I told Lex about all the junk in my life, about all my struggles, about the, the life I was living, and how I was questioning this, and I didn't know what to do, and this is just who I am. And he still loved me anyway. And for the next three days, I couldn't get out of my mind. 
And that, that thought kept going over and over in my head again that that can't be him who loves me, that has to be the Jesus I see in him who loves me. So I got out of my Bible and I started reading and, 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 and I, my, mind, my wheels were turning my mind to maybe Jesus doesn't actually love me after all. And through this experience with Lex and these other Christian guys in my life, I finally became convinced for the first time uh, in, my, in my adult life that Jesus does love me. Despite whatever's going on in my life, God's grace applies to my life too. And so on June 21st, 2006, I fell to my knees and gave my life to the Lord. And, you know, I'd always called myself a Christian. Um, I'd always uh, uh, prayed a lot. Sometimes I'd pray for God to take the struggle away, especially back in uh, my teenage years, that I, I didn't want these feelings, I didn't want this identity, I didn't want this life, and I prayed for God to take away, and he never did. And I'd always called myself a Christian. I always knew that I was a sinner and I needed Jesus. But I, and I realized in that moment, was that my faith was nothing more than my demands on God. It was me demanding God, all right, God, uh, I want you to take this struggle away, but I don't want to have to tell anyone. And this is exactly what my life should look like. I want you to just flip the switch so that I can be attractive women and have a life, just a normal life like I want. And my faith was nothing more than just my terms and conditions and my demands on God. And I figured out that that was no faith at all. But for the first time, I was at a place of surrender. I was at a place where I said, all right, Jesus, I trust that you love me. For the first time in my life, I trust that you deeply, deeply love me. And your grace applies to me. And I surrender everything to you. I don't know what that looks like, but I surrender everything to you. And it felt like my whole life was crumbling. And I had nothing left but the grace of Christ. But that grace was all that I needed. And so uh, that was my moment of surrender to the Lord. And my life instantly started to change. Uh, I, I, I told some more, uh, some more of the Christian community about, the, about my gay identity and the life I've been living. And, and they were just the same as Lex. They, they, they love me and they might not agree and they don't know how to work this out in my life. But they love me unconditionally and they want to help me grow in my relationship with Jesus. And so over that summer, life started to radically change. I, I started to read the Bible and more and just fall in love with the man named Jesus in here. And I started to see over and over again through his words how much he loved me. And I was determined to follow him at all costs and be obedient to, uh, to the, the, the man who gave up his life to die for me. Well, but I was still really wrestling inside. Um, because uh, I, I still had this gay identity, I was still acting out, I was still looking at pornography, I was still kind of going on some dates with men, and I was still really wrestling. It's like, well, then, okay, God, um, I said, if you love me no matter what, then can't I still just continue to live that life and be gay, maybe find a, a handsome man to fall in love with and spend the rest of my life with? But I searched the scriptures and I read the Bible, and I was so conflicted because I could not find anything inside scriptures that could condone that life. And I came to a place where I, I decided that uh, for so many years of my life, um, I knew that I needed Jesus as my Savior. But the, for the first time on that day in June, I surrendered to Him as the Lord of my life. So going forward the rest of the summer, um, I knew that I can't just uh, wake up every morning and say that I can do whatever because I have Jesus as my Savior. But no, I need to surrender to Him as the Lord of my life. And part of that is surrendering to his word.
which I, I still didn't know what that looked like. Um, because the, this, these feelings, these desires felt like they're so deep, it's just a, such a big part of me. That these guys that I had in my life were just helped me process God's word and help me process what it looked like to live a life that surrendered to God's word and, and this, the uh, commands he has for us. I'd like to read to you one short passage that really changed my life that summer. It's in 1 Corinthians 6. Um, it seems like these first two verses I heard over and over again in my life uh, growing up. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. It says, Do not be deceived. Do not know that the sexually immoral will not carry the kingdom of God. Uh, neither will the... Uh, excuse me. Um, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And it seems like I've heard those two verses over and over again in my life. Um, but I've always heard it to be used by Christians to point towards the homosexual community, towards the LGBT community, uh, to, to uh, judge them, to condemn them, and say, say, see, those people are not inheriting the kingdom of God. But really, if you look at that list of sins, I really think it covers about all of us. Well, my life really started to change that summer when someone pointed out to me the very next verse, and it said, and that is what some of you were, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that verse just changed my life. It says, past tense, that that's what some of you were, but you're washed, and you're justified, and you're sanctified uh, in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And that showed me that uh, even though 15 years ago this seemed like a new issue in our culture of, of sexuality and same-sex relationships and homosexuality, that this is not a new issue. That 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul wrote this book, inspired by the Lord, uh, there were people who were homosexuals and Christ was loving them. He was changing them. He was washing them by his blood. And that gave me hope that I could live a different life. And so going forward, uh, by the end of the summer, my life had completely changed. Um, I, I was resting in God's grace and experiencing God's grace in ways that I never thought I could. And that brought me freedom from things that I never thought I'd have freedom from. By the end of the summer, I, I really completely walked away from my life as a gay man, which I never thought would be possible because it felt like that's a central part of my identity, that this is just who I is, this is who I am, this is what I have to have. It felt so natural and normal that I'd never imagined life without that. But, but the Lord changed my life. I'd love to be able to stand up here and just say that like, God flipped the switch and, uh, and took those feelings away and made me attracted towards women, uh, which he didn't do that. Um, uh, which, well, one thing I realized uh, through this, this growing process, uh, through some wise Christian people in my life, is that uh, for those of us who have a traditional view on sexuality and marriage, that the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, it's holiness. That my goal cannot be to just uh, uh, be attracted to women or have the things that I want, that my goal has to be to seek holiness with Christ. First Peter calls us to be holy as I am holy. And so uh, so my, my goal was, all right, Lord, how can I be 
the holy curse? How can I live out the holiness that you have called me to? And it was clear from his word that I couldn't continue to live that life and pursue the holiness that he calls us to. But what did that look like? What did change look like when God didn't just flip a switch and make these feelings and desires go away? But there's four things, actually three things I'm going to share with you guys tonight that God taught me in the coming months that really changed my life and helped me live a different life. One is that he gave me a new identity. Uh, God showed me that my identity is not in my feelings. My identity is not in my attractions. My identity is not in the, in the labels society gives me. It's not in the boxes people want to put me in. My identity is in him, in him only. And I am his child, whom he loves, whom he made, who he created, and who he is now redeemed and restored. And that is my identity. I don't have to identify with just the labels that society says I have to have. And second, he gave me power. He showed me that since I now knew him, since I surrendered my life to him, his word says I have the Holy Spirit indwelling in me. I now have the power of the Holy Spirit uh, inside of me. And because of that, with his power in me, I could choose to live a life of pure, holy, and pleasing to him. That, that I might not have had any choice over these feelings and attractions that had developed in my life. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in me, I can choose to live a life that's honoring to Him, that's according to my convictions, and according to what I believe is the truth of His Word. And thirdly is this. He gave me an eternal perspective. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, this, this, this struggle was still really hard, and sometimes it's still difficult in my life ten years later. And it was painful at times, and sometimes it's hard to imagine that how can I go the rest of my life without those things that my flesh is desiring? And they, in our culture, our culture tells us that to deny ourselves of whatever sexual desires we have, it's not only impractical, but it's immoral. Uh, that's what our culture is telling us. But whenever I'm struggling and thinking that, no, I, I just want to act on, on, on some of these desires, uh, God takes me to a picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours before he's crucified on the cross. And while Jesus is in the garden, he's so terrified, he's so uh, terrified about the crucifixion that he's going to be facing, that he's actually sweating drops of blood. And he's sweating drops of blood and uh, because it's not only at the thought of, of the physical pain that he's going to be going through, he's sweating drops of blood because of the reality of taking on the sin of the world. Yet, Jesus no matter how excruciating that was, he still went to the cross, and he did it. And he followed through, and he was crucified for my sin and for my life. One of my favorite verses is John 19.30, where Jesus speaks his last words on the cross. He says, it is finished. Three simple words. But when he spoke those words, Jesus gave me everything that I need for eternity, which is salvation and forgiveness of my sins. Because of that, I can spend eternity with our Father in heaven. And because of that, I have redemption and restoration for my life, and God no longer sees my sin, but I am restored. So now, because of the fact that I have everything I need for eternity, that gives me a completely different perspective on life. It means that when my heart is desiring things and craving things, that I can deny myself for the few short years I have here on earth. Because I already have everything I need for eternity that makes my desires seem a little less important. 
but that summer was just the beginning of, of my spiritual journey um, as a new Christian and someone trying to walk with the Lord. And God just started me down this healing journey of taking brokenness in my past and helping me find healing in it. Uh, you know, and I'd always thought um, when I was younger, you know, I was still really fighting my this, uh, these sexual desires before I started living the LGBT life. I'd always thought, okay, if I just fix this error in my life, God will love me and I'll be okay. Which, uh, it turns out, I didn't need to fix it, that God loved me anyway. But after God really did some transformation in that area of my life, I realized, oh shoot, like, I also have about 100 other sins in my life to work on. Sometimes we define people by the one area of, my, of their life, and Christians have done a really horrible job of defining people by the one area of their life. Whereas we're all sinners, who all need Jesus for 100 areas of our life. And now going through this process, over the last 10 years, God has uh, continually provided more restoration for my life. He's continually refining me and, and convicting me and showing me areas that I still need to repent of, that I still need to work on. And now I always say, I picture God as being like an old man with a hammered chisel. And uh, he's given me all these defining moments in my life, usually where uh, a fellow brother in Christ loved me really, really well, maybe... Uh, spoke some truth in my life, pointing me towards God's grace. All these defining moments where God got out his hammer and chisel and he chiseled away a piece of the wall that I built around my heart at the age of 13. And God continues to tear down that wall and, and bring restoration to broken pieces of my past and my life and my heart. And in doing so, every time he, he tears down one of those pieces, he takes from the lies that I believe about myself about God, about the world, and he trades it for one of his truths. And God, through these last 10 years, has been teaching me more and more about sexuality and, and what his word says about it and what it looks like to live the Christian life that's honoring to him. And sexuality is so hard because I feel like we have lived in a culture that is so inundated with so many different messages and signals and it's everywhere around us. Um, and our, our society tells us to just succumb to sexual sin and it celebrates and tells us to act out on whatever feelings you might have and they're just normal and that's how you have life and that's how you have happiness and our hearts crave these things and our hearts tell us that this is what i need and this is what i want and this is this is what i should have but throughout the last several years um there's one verse i keep going back to over and over again that shows me the truth about our hearts and that's Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Our hearts deceive us. Our hearts lie to us. Our hearts twist things. And as a result, we crave things that we shouldn't be craving. We crave things uh, to fulfill us, to make us happy. It started with Adam and Eve, and it continues on in us. Um, our cravings with sexual sin aren't just cravings for physical sex, their emotional cravings. Uh, sexuality and relationships is so much more than just physical sex. It's relationship and emotional connections. And uh, we build our identity so much around um, how people value us and how people respond to us and getting emotional connections from people and trying to get different responses from people. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where we build marriage and relationships around these cravings. We date and marry people who we are the most physically attracted to and who we think will make us happy. 
That's just how our culture does marriage. And really, uh, it's that type of marriage is a form of worship. We're turning to a person worshiping them to find value and to find our hope and to find fulfillment. That they were never meant to place to play that role in our life. But that's not how God designed marriage and relationships. There's there's so many things that we could go to in the Bible to talk about marriage and relationships. Uh, but there's just a couple things I want to point out. Uh, in Ephesians 5, it talks about marriage and relationships, and it says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her. Wow, what a radical view of marriage that, that husbands are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church, was completely giving up their lives for them. See, uh, sexuality was never intended to be about us and just fulfilling things inside of us and making us feel good and making us feel happy. Uh, sexuality and marriage relationships are supposed to bring glory to God by dying to ourselves to serve unconditionally the person that God brought to us. And in that, we, we give glory to God and we are a picture of the gospel. We're giving a picture of how Christ died for us. And through that obedience, uh, God gives us joy and peace like no person ever could. And it comes from dying to ourselves to serve our spouse instead of looking for a spouse for fulfillment. Um, you guys know what an idol is? Uh, the Bible talks about idols and um, uh, idolatry. Idolatry was one of the sins mentioned in the First Corinthians 6 passage I read. An idol is something besides God that we worship. An idol is something that we put in place of God. Uh, that, that we really give parts of our lives to. We give, uh, um, we, we find our value in it. We find our identity in it. And for so many of us in, in, this, in our culture, uh, we have created so many idols within sexuality. We look to people to find our identity and to find our value. And we give people a place of our heart that they never were meant to have. And therefore, we kind of become a slave to them because we're relying on this person to make us happy, to fulfill us. And if we're relying on a person for those things, we become a slave to them. And as any idol, an idol always fails us because it can never do for us the things that it was meant or that we, we wanted to do for us. And that's why when you look at around our culture, um, relationships are kind of a mess. Divorce rates are ever, you know, sky high. Uh, there's so much brokenness and dysfunction because people are turning to other people to fill, fill places inside of them. They're turning to them as idols to make them happy in ways that people were never meant to. And in doing that, we've rejected the form of marriage that God has for us, which is a man and a woman dying to themselves to unconditionally serve each other and give their lives for each other. But life only comes from God. Joy only comes from God. And joy in relationships and marriage only comes when they are as Christ intended, which are dying to ourselves to give our lives to others. But what makes this so hard uh, is that our culture is so surrounded by relational dysfunction and confusion. And we've so much parted the ways that uh, um, that the, the Bible tells us to live and to, to give and to serve others. Our culture screams at us to indulge in sex outside of marriage, to find a partner who will make you happy. 
That's, that's the message all around us. Whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, our society tells us we deserve to act on whatever feelings we have. But there's a problem. It leads to emptiness and ultimately leads to death. Whereas life can only come through Christ. But our souls long for these things and they crave it. Um, I want to read a passage of scripture that I really, uh, people come here all the time talking about homosexuality, but I really feel like it applies to every person, uh, whether it's homosexual, heterosexual, this really shows us how we've got to where we are with our sexuality. It's uh, Romans 1, it's a famous passage for anyone who is first of all in um, uh sexuality issues in the Bible, and unfortunately this is another another passage that Christians have taken to just throw judgment on the gay community. But Romans 1 is talking about idols and uh, serving things other than Christ, and we're going to start in verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him or give, him th- give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and images, and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up to lust their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Uh, for this reason, God gave up them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another and committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so this passage talks about uh, um, turning to people for idols. It says, like, turning to people with the turning to things that resemble God and have an image of God instead of God Himself. And every one of us was created in the image of God. That we, that we turn to people who have the image of God for satisfaction and for fulfillment instead of turning to God Himself. And that is how we commit idolatry within relationships, worshiping something other than God. This, this passage really talked, you know, it mentions homosexuality and men having relations with each other. But uh, really, so many heterosexuals in our society are so guilty of the same idolatry within relationships. It's easy, it's been easy for the church uh, in general to call out the LGBT community and, and say, you guys need to repent of your sins. But so many times that the same idolatry that I believe, and I'm sure we don't all agree on this, the same idolatry that I believe, the same sin that I believe is behind homosexuality and same-sex relationships, uh, is the exact same idolatry I see behind heterosexual relationships. Turning to another person to fulfill these desires in you, it's just the only difference is the object uh, is different for some people. Uh, and so this is an area where I believe that Christians um, have been so blinded at times and we've tried to call out the, the LGBT community for their sin and tell them they need repentance. And Christians have been blinded to the repentance that we all need when it comes to sexuality because we have hearts that twist things and crave things for people that they shouldn't. And so it shouldn't be something within the Christian community, and I call this in every church, 
that they speak at. It's not us versus them. It's not that the, the LGBT community, just Christians, should not be the enemy that out there. It's all of us in this together, coming to the foot of the cross for redemption through Christ. We all need the same transformation. We all need the same forgiveness from Jesus. And we all need to uh, quit looking to idols to fulfill us and instead turn to the living God because that is our only hope. Romans 12 tells us to not buy into the ways of the world. It tells us, do not conform to the passages of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So guys, there is hope. I'm not just here to tell us that we're all sinners and that, uh, that our, our thoughts are not what they should be and our desires are not what they should be. I'm here to tell you there is hope. Um, John 8, 31 32 says, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. God's word came, and Jesus came to set us free. We don't have to be held captive by the things that our heart craves. That if we continue to pursue the things that our heart craves, and we rely on them to make us happy, they're going to hold us captive. We're going to be slaves to them. We're always going to have a debt to service the things that we rely on to make us happy. Whether that's people or things or power or whatever we do to find our identity and our value in that's other than Christ. But there's hope in the gospel. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have everything we need in God's power for life. So we don't have to turn to these idols to, uh, to, to find our happiness and find life. Life can only come through Christ. God not only commanded us to repent of our sin, but he gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to do so. He transform our lives. And I know that uh, it's not easy. I know that it looks daunting. It looks, it, you feel like these things that I'm living for, these things that I'm serving, it's, whether it's uh, sexuality, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever it is, whether everything else we sometimes her identity, it feels so daunting. Um, so uh, just like this is just who I am and this is who I have to be. But Christ renews us and he changes us and he transforms us. The very next verse in uh, Jeremiah 17 says, Lord, search my heart. It says our hearts are deceitful, but then Lord, search my heart. And we can have heart level change in our life and change desires and change attractions, change feelings, change cravings by allowing the Lord to search our heart and untwist the lies that we believe that led us to where we're at as a culture and as individuals. We don't have to live in slavery to these things, but Christ can change us and give us the power to overcome them. Um, I, I wanted to close with just a couple other things, and then we're going to move on to another short testimony. Uh, um, and then we're going to have some Q&A time. One thing that I missed at the beginning was that uh, Ann passed out some little cards that have uh, um, my phone number on them. And so at the bottom, feel free to text in any questions you want to ask. There's nothing off limits. You can ask anything. I'm sure some of you might not agree with things that I said, and that's okay. I can't guarantee you I'm going to be able to get to them all because um, time is limited. But please text in questions, whether it's relationships, sexuality, homosexuality, the church, Jesus. Um, uh, just please text me your questions. I'd love to answer those for you uh, after we have our next testimony. Uh, but first I want to close this time with a couple things. And one is a call to whatever Christians are in this room. 
uh, I don't know which mix of you are Christians, which mix of you are non-Christians, which uh, of you are members of the LGBT community. Um, I have no idea, but for those of you who are Christians in this room, here's my final charge for you. Love people and have compassion. We might not agree on everything. Uh, some of us as Christians um, have the most traditional view, as I do, on sexuality and marriage, the God designed marriage between a man and a woman. Um, but we can still love and respect people who disagree with us. And the church has done a horrible job of that. The church has wounded people and pushed people away and, and judged people when, uh, and, and it may seem like that is the unforgivable sin. One day I had uh, a woman come up to me and tell me that I, I really should reach out to my lesbian neighbors, but that sin is just so yucky. And I had two responses for her. Uh, one is that go home and look at yourself in the mirror and realize that your sin is just as yucky in the eyes of God. And you had to, Jesus had to hang on the cross just as long your sin as he did your lesbian neighbors. And you are no more deserving of God's grace as they are. And the second thing was, go to Acts 17 in the Bible, where Paul goes to Rome, or he goes to Athens, and he sees this like, city that's full of idolatry and full of sexual sin, including homosexuality. Did he, did he say that that's too yucky, that's too gross, I can't go there, I can't be those people? No, he went there, he loved them, he, he learned what their hearts were after, and he applied the gospel truth to them. Because he knew that his discomfort was worth it for the sake of the gospel. And so my charge to Christians is to love people and have compassion. Be the type of Christian where when someone who maybe disagrees with you and has different views than you uh, looks at your life and looks at your relationship you have with them where they say, it can't be that person loves me, that has to be the Jesus I see in them who loves me. Be that type of Christian, no matter whether people disagree with you or not. We don't win over hearts by having debates with people. We win over hearts by loving them with love of Christ. For those of you in this room, I have no idea who you are. You might be members of the LGBT community, dealing with any type of sexuality. Maybe you do not believe it's contrary to God's word. Um, I, I have this final charge for you. Uh, there is freedom in Christ. Whether you agree with me on this issue, whether you agree with me on sexuality, I plead with you. This world offers, says they offer us so much. This world says that freedom comes from things of this world. Um, I have a couple verses for you. First uh, John chapter two, uh, verses 16 says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but of the world. So many things that we crave that hold us captive are from the world and they lead us to death. Then, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is standing at the door of our hearts, knocking, wanting to come in, wanting to change us, wanting to give us freedom from the things of this world. Freedom from the things that our hearts crave because they've deceived us. Uh, freedom from the things that hold us captive. Freedom from having to rely on things of the world, on people, on stuff, on power, on identity, to, to make us happy and give us value. He gives us value. He gives us freedom. And it comes through a relationship with Him. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I just want to invite you guys to think about this. To, to 
wrestle in your mind, do you want the freedom that Christ can give us? Did you desire not to be held captive by the things of the world, but instead have freedom through Christ who loves us? I know it's scary. It's when I gave my life to the Lord, it's like I have no idea what this is going to look like. But God's grace is enough. And so it doesn't matter what it looks like to move forward. Because God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough to deny ourselves of the things that, things that we think come natural. God's grace is enough to say no to the things of the world. God's grace is enough to give up everything in our life. Because it's enough. It sets us free of the things that are holding us captive. So I encourage you guys tonight. If there's some little um, uh, response cards underneath your chairs, I encourage you to fill that out. And if you're interested, if you want to know more about what it looks like, have a relationship with Christ. Or tonight, if you want to just pray to God and say, God, uh, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior and I surrender my life to you, God is knocking at the door and we'd love to know about it. So uh, as we, as you guys uh, kind of look over those things and in your chairs, you start texting in some questions to me, um, we're going to have our friend Josh come up uh, to share his quick testimony. Josh just recently moved to... Um, this area, and uh, he's done a lot of work in San Francisco and helping bridge gaps between the church and the LGBT community, helping guys who also uh, struggle with these issues. So, uh, if we could have Josh come on up, and he is going to share for here's our friend Josh. He's going to share for a few minutes, and as he's sharing, please text him questions, and I'd love to answer any of your questions when we are done. Thanks, Josh. Great. Um, my name is Josh. I'm 25. I am originally from South Carolina. Uh, I just moved here to the 505 in June. Um, I spent three years in San Francisco um, being the missions coordinator for the city, hosting mission teams from all over the city, and then being the city liaison between all of the churches in the city um, and the LGBTQ community, uh, which was really cool because I got to work a lot with bridging those gaps and you know, talking with churches and people of faith of how to have conversations and how to love and um, engage the LGBTQ community. Um, and so I'm here tonight to kind of talk about my own story and what I've been through and how God has really ministered to me, how he has loved me, how he has transformed me um, from a lot of mess. So. I was born in North Carolina, Harrison, North Carolina, which is right on top of the mountains in North Carolina. Um, my father was a minister, a Pentecostal minister. Um, my mom, unfortunately, was and still is um, anorexic, bulimic, suicidal, on drugs. Um, she was in and out of mental hospitals constantly throughout her life when I was a kid. She was in and out of mental hospitals. Um, just to kind of give you a picture of what she was like. I remember there was uh, a time, she was very physically abusive to me as a kid, and there was a time where she locked me in the bathroom, and she had got done beating me, and she locked me in the bathroom, and we had this large mirror where our sink was. And she climbed up on top of the sink, and she pulled out a razor, and she began to cut herself. When she was done cutting herself, she took out lipstick, and she began to write all over the mirror. Something made no sense. When she was done with the mirror space, she started on the walls. When she was done with the walls, she started on just anything. And so it was this kind of insanity that I lived with. And my earliest, one of my earliest memories of my mom was me asking her to pick me up. And my dad looked at her, my dad said, can't you just love him? 
And my mom put back to him and she said, you can't make me feel anything I don't want to. And from that moment on, all I wanted was to feel love. I just wanted my mom's love. I felt like my dad was never there. He was always gone, he was always doing stuff at the church. He was also a children's counselor, so he was always counseling somebody else. And I was like, where were you when I needed you? You should have been here. You're my dad, you should have protected me, you should have been here to love me, and you weren't. There was a time when he did try to come back into <clears throat> being more active in our life. And my mom was about to hit me, and he walked in on her, and he stopped her, and he looked at me, and he said, I'm back, and I'm going to be here. Now, in that moment, he was telling me, I'm here to protect you, I'm going to try to do something more for you. In my mind, I was like, too late. I don't care. And so all of that anger that I had toward, not only him, but toward my mother, I just immediately directed on him. And I began to rebel as hard as I could against him and everything he stood for. Now from the time I was four years old to about nine, I was continuously molested. It first happened with a neighbor's son where I lived in North Carolina. Later on, it happened with one of the minister's sons that we went to church with in South Carolina. And it continued. And I felt so shameful. So guilty. I felt like it was my fault. I felt like all I had to offer to anybody at that point was my body, what I could do sexually. I did not feel accepted. I didn't feel loved. I was not like the other kids. I wasn't like the other boys. I wasn't into sports. I wasn't into, you know, into playing outside. I was artistic. I love to sing, and psychologically too, because of my mother's mental problems, she's always trying to change me to the daughter she did not have yet. So I was the firstborn, and so for birthdays and Christmases, I'd get Barbie dolls, I would get cleaning supplies, I slept in a dollhouse bed for a while. And all of this, from a very early age, just kind of got me in this mindset of I'm different. And it got me in this mindset of, Okay, I'm not like the other boys. I'm attracted to all of these men around me. And I started finding that. Now, I grew up in the church. Who do you go to, especially in the South? Who do you go to in the South, in the church, and say, hey, I think I'm gay? I had no one to go to. I didn't even know where to begin, where to explore, what to do. I was so confused with myself. I stayed silent. So for years, I was angry, so angry. The world. I was angry at my mom and my dad. I just wanted to be loved by somebody. I started partying. I started doing some drugs. I started drinking all the time. But then I'd get up. I'd be a good quote unquote Christian Southern boy. And I'd get up on Sunday morning and I'd go to church. Nobody knew. I'm, I'm on the stage at my church leading worship. I'm the, the song leader. And what nobody knew is I'm having a relationship with the man I'm leaving with. But I didn't care. To me, it was never about the sex. I was jumping from one encounter to the next encounter, but it was never about the sex. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to be happy. I wanted it to be okay. You know, like, little girls always had that image in their head of this man in my, this knight in shining armor riding and rescuing them. Right? And taking them on. That's what I wanted. 
My whole life I've taken care of everyone else. I take care of my mom. I take care of everybody else. I just wanted somebody to come and rescue me and to finally take care of me. That's all I wanted, just that love. The restraint of events, I ended up my senior, the night before my senior year in high school. Up to that point, I felt like I had been putting this lid over this overboiling pot of water that was about to explode, just trying to keep the lid on it. That night, before my senior year started, me and my dad got in this fight. Now, to this day, I can't tell you what that fight was about. But years and years of emotion and rage and anger spewed out everywhere. And my dad told me, he said, he said, you need to leave. I said, I'm going, don't worry. I said, and when I leave, I'm not coming back. He said, don't. That night, I came homeless. Started my next day of school. Walked into school. I was so good at wearing the mask. I was so good at keeping my, myself cool. I walked into school. I was like, hey, Josh, how you doing? How's your life been? Oh, it's great. Fine. Nobody knew I had no clue where I was going to sleep that night. So I'm just bumming from place to place, couch to couch, person to person, working my way through, just trying to find out, okay, what am I going to have for dinner? Where am I going to sleep? What is it going to be okay? Making up excuses as to why I couldn't go home. Making up excuses why I needed to stay somewhere else. Finally, I was sitting in the front office of my school, and I had nowhere else to go. Sitting there with my duffel bag full of my clothes and stuff. And I got up and I started to walk towards the door because I was like, I'm just gonna go sleep under the bridge. It was 10 minutes, it was down, you know, downtown. And so I was like, this is it, I'm gonna go sleep under the bridge. I got up and when I went to reach for the door, my chorus teacher walked in the front office and she looked at me and she said, Do you need somewhere to stay? I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, Come on, you're coming home with me. So I grabbed my stuff. Brad moved in with her. And that first night, when everything changed for me, that first night I was sitting upstairs in her room, or, or in her computer room, and I was surrounded by my clothes and my stuff. And something in me just broke. And I just started weeping so hard. And I was like, God, I can't do this. I hate myself. I am a hypocrite. I I hate the way I'm living. I hate what I'm doing. I can't keep this up. I'm lying to everyone around me. My family's not talking to me. I don't know how I'm going to graduate high school. I can't even look at me. I don't know if you can look at me. I remember saying, God, if there was ever a time for you to talk to me, this would be it. And I closed my eyes. And I had my eyes closed and I was crying. And all of a sudden, this hand came on my shoulder. And my shoulder went down from the weight of the hand. I could feel the fingertips and everything. And I looked up really quickly because I thought it was the chorus teacher or her husband. Nobody was in the room. And as clearly as I am standing here today, no joke, I heard this voice. I can't tell you if it was Audible, I can't tell you if it was a sound. I don't know. I just literally heard this voice speak to me and say, it is going to be okay. And this peace hit the room. And I knew my circumstance had not changed. Nothing about my life had changed. I just knew God had spoken and he said it was going to be okay. And I knew it was God. Thank God. Shortly after that, a friend of mine invited me to church. I was like, sure, I'll go to church. I walked into the church and the pastor was preaching about what we call the gospel. He was preaching about Jesus and how Jesus died for us. And he said two things that changed my life. 
The first thing he says is he said, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He explained that what propitiation meant was wrath-bearing substitute. And that when God looked at us, he didn't see wrath. That wrath had been taken on by Jesus on the cross. That Jesus had carried the wrath of God for us. But when we said to him, there was no wrath. There was grace. There was love. There was mercy. The second verse that he quoted to change my life is he said, Jesus bore our shame. My whole life has been shame-driven. I couldn't even look at me. How could God look at me? And I realized, wait a minute. You're telling me Jesus, well, he carried my shame? My whole life I've been carrying something that he's already carried for me. And in that moment, I finally realized God doesn't see me as I see me. My whole life I have been known as Joshua was beaten, Joshua was molested, Joshua was gay, Joshua was liar, Joshua was manipulator, Joshua was not wanted. In that moment, I realized I am Joshua's son of God. He calls me son. No more, no less. And nothing can strip that from me. I finally understood who I was and who I belonged to. And years and years of guilt and shame began to melt. And I just wept so hard. And I realized he looks at me. He loves me. My grace, I had always been taught that it was the abominable sin. God didn't want you if you were gay. God couldn't look at you if you were gay. That moment I realized quite the opposite. He loved me. He saw me. He knew me. And then after that, I just watched him transform me. For a long time, my prayer was God make me straight. I wanted sexual normalcy. I didn't want sexual morality. So I was like, Grand Jesus, just make me straight. I just want to be attracted to women instead of attracted to men. For all prayer. And I realized Jesus did not die to make men straight, he died to make them holy. And the answer to homosexuality is my heterosexuality is counseling, my grace is holiness. And when I began to see that, I began to see God's face for who he is, instead of looking at his hands and what he could always give me, then my life changed. And now here I am. Me and my dad are now best friends. They're completely restored. I've been able to forgive my mother and seek healing and start to move on from that, continually move on from that. I've watched God just completely begin to restore my sexuality and, and speak to me outside of that I was given an identity. And so I'm given an identity that goes beyond what I'm attracted to or who I'm attracted to. And now here I am. So my simple message is this. He restores all things lost. All things broken, all things destroyed. It is who he is. And no matter how you have defined yourself, no matter what's been spoken over you or to you, he is a God of love, he is a God of mercy, he is a God of grace, and he is a God of transformation. And he does not see you as you see you. And what he offers and what he looks at you and says is that is my son, that is my daughter, and I love them. That's it. That's simple. That's me. So thank you. Thank you, Josh, and thank you very so much. Thank you for driving all the way out here to be with us. Um, we've heard some pretty powerful testimonies tonight, and what both Josh and Brady said. Um, I just 
want to thank you for making it clear that um, our lives, we're all in desperate need of a Savior. We're all sinners, and we all need Jesus. And the only way, um, I guess, it's, we can know about it and know about it, but the only way to truly, um, to truly know the power of God and have that relationship with Him is to surrender. And God does begin to make a transformation in our lives. I, I didn't live in that lifestyle, but I had my own lifestyle of sin, and God's helped me and taken me away from, from things that were hurtful in my life. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you on these response cards, um, if you either have questions or, um, you're, or if you're all the way to the point where you want to make a decision uh, to surrender your life to follow Jesus, I would encourage you to, to check the um, card, and we'll follow up with you. And um, if you have any questions for Brady, you can still text those in. We're going to go ahead and um, have him do some Q&A with that. And also, uh, again, we're with Albuquerque Christian Impact, and I wanted to let you all know that we do have uh, Thursday nights. Usually, we have dinner at... Um, our staff house and we'll have Bible Q&A time. We want anybody to come and feel free to ask questions. You can remain anonymous and, and ask whatever question you want. We want you to feel welcome. Um, we do that every Thursday, but once a month we'll be here for a bigger, bigger event like this. Um, this weekend, there's a men's retreat and tomorrow is when um, the guys are going to be heading to Durango. We have a lodge and a ranch in the mountains. Of Durango for students, it's only fifteen dollars. So if you guys want to go, there's um, the topic is on. Let's see, it's on First Peter and it's confidence in walking with God. Um, there's lots of great food and a lot of um, outdoor activities as well. So with the drawing that we're going to do, um, if you guys fill out the response cards, we're going to do a drawing for a couple iTunes cards too. Okay. The only thing is, we don't have the iTunes cards tonight. So, under your chair is, uh, in order to get into the drawing, if you would fill out the card um, with your name and information, we'll go ahead and do the drawing tonight, and we'll call you or email you whatever piece of information you give us to let you know um, that. I think we'll do the drawing tonight. So if you did get if you do get picked, we'll call you and we'll find out how we can get it to you. Maybe we'll meet you up here on campus to get to you. So anyway, um, Brady, can we re-welcome you back up? Thank you. Thank you. Um, so there's been a whole bunch of questions coming in, so thank you for that. There's at least 15 or 20 so far. And so, since I'm assuming you don't all want to be here all night, uh, we're probably not going to get to them all, but I just maybe we'll try to cover the, a few of them. Uh, one that I've seen several times as questions have come in is that, do I believe that people are born gay? Uh, that's a difficult, difficult question, but I'd like to give a few of my thoughts. Um, for one thing, it's like for someone who's LGBT, like I, I usually don't have an argument with them because I, I try to have compassion for them. I know it feels like you are for, for the person who's gay and that's just the attractions you have, that's who you're drawn to, it just feels like this is who I am, uh, this is how I was born. And so for those of us who are Christians who believe in traditional marriage and believe you know, that 
homosexuality is against God's will, they have compassion for the fact that people did not choose those feelings or attractions, but it feels like that's who they are. However, I truly do not believe that we are born with those feelings. I believe that uh, our hearts develop them as our hearts are seeking things in the world. And, uh, um, you know, there's, back in the 90s, there's um, a lot of headlines. Most of you guys were probably even alive in the 90s, which is really depressing but, uh, for me anyway. Um, but back in the 90s, when they really started studying these issues a lot, there's a lot of headlines um, saying that, Oh, like, like they, they found a gay gene, or they found that uh, as people were born that way, there's these studies like the Simon McVeigh study, and there's this twin study. But even the authors of those studies say that that wasn't true, that people were completely taking things out of context. Now, people all the time now ask me, like, oh, well, they've proven that people were just born gay. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, how did they prove that? Oh, well, they've done studies. Like, early what studies? And no one ever, ever has an answer for that because they don't exist. So here's a couple of reasons why I don't believe that we're born that way. Even though we didn't have empathy and compassion and understanding that it feels that way, like to the core of you, it just feels like this is the way my soul is. Like have compassion for that. But here's a couple of reasons why I don't believe that we are. For one thing, if we're born that way, it could never ever change. Um, but I know so many people who have had so much change in their sexual attraction. The goal is to never be just made straight like like i said like josh said like i don't want to trade lust for men for lust for women that gets me nowhere and that's just as sinful but i know guys who first they've had all their same-sex attraction go away now they have they, they say they have no and no feelings at all of their previous identity and attractions and desires for men and many of them are married to women and attracted to their wives and uh and they have no uh, hint left of their previous selves. And so if it was inborn in them and, and just something they're born with, they, they would never change, but sometimes it does. And so that's one just practically tells us that it's something we're not born with. But the second reason is just examining my own heart. And you know, like I said, Jeremiah 79, our hearts are deceitful and our hearts twist things and then idolize those things. And that's why heterosexuality is also kind of a mess in our culture. And guys desire to have sex with just about everyone and, and women too. And our hearts crave things that they shouldn't. Our hearts twist things. And as the Lord has done work in my life for the last 10 years, I've he's refined and refined uh, in my life, how I see idolatry and how I see that I've turned to men to fulfill things that they shouldn't. And over that period, uh, my my attraction towards men has greatly, greatly decreased. And to where it's like, sometimes I don't even think about it, where it used to be, was just on my mind all the time, felt like this is just who I am. Now it's not. And some of it's still there. And, uh, um, and, and I, I still deal with that. But now when I see a guy, that I am uh, attracted to, a guy that I am really drawn to. Um, the Lord's made my heart aware enough to see there's something in him that I want to attain for myself. There's an insecurity in me that I want to uh, fulfill and, and soothe by having an emotional or sexual connection with this man. That there's something about him that I'm drawn to. Usually it's an insecurity in my own life. It comes with... Uh, uh, insecurity about how I look, about personality traits, things that I wish I had. I'm attracted to men who will give me those things. And so I can ask the Lord to search my heart and 
and, and to change that and help me go to the Lord to uh, see myself rightly so that I don't have to go to this man. And uh, in those moments, um, I, I see the idolatry, the way I'm hurting this man for, uh, to, to make me whole. It's like I feel like I'm, I'm missing something, so I need to turn to this man and make me whole. But wholeness can only come through Christ. And the things I'm turning to him for, uh, in the end, are never going to satisfy. They may, for a while, they may make me feel happy, and, and I have this emotional connection. But in the end, it's going to lead to death, because he's never going to be able to do for me what my heart wants him to do. And when I turn to the Lord and, and turn to the community, and we walk through that, and we process through why am I attracted to a certain person, what am I trying to attain from him, and I go to the Lord and find wholeness in Christ, those cravings for that guy go away. Sometimes it's a short process, sometimes it's a longer process, but they go away because my, because through the truth of God's word, the twisting of my heart can be untwisted. To no longer desire the things that I desire from that guy. And so that shows me over and over again, and so many guys I've dealt with, it's, it, this isn't just my experience, but so many guys that I know uh, that the Lord untwists those desires of their heart and they trade God's truth for a lie. Or they trade, uh, the, 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 yeah, they trade God's truth for a lie, but God can undo that and, and bring truth back in those areas where we believe lies and untwist those things and take those attractions away. And if we're born that way, that would that, that, be impossible. That could not happen. So I'm careful not to just debate people about that because just it, it feels like that's just the way we are, and I, I, I understand that. Um, so that's not a hill I'm going to die on. Because my second response to that is that even if we were born that way, we're all born into sin. And we all have to deny ourselves and turn to Christ. And so I don't believe that being, even if we were born with a desire that, uh, um, uh, even if we're born with a desire, then I, I don't believe that it's right that we can just um, uh, give into it if it's contrary to God's word. Um, another one that's come in by a couple of people um, is that do I desire a relationship with a woman or will I ever be in a relationship with a woman? Uh, and so, great question. Um, so, for a lot of the years during this process, uh, I always said that I really thought that I'd live a life of celibacy, that I'd never be in a place to be in a relationship with a woman. I felt like my desires for men were still being too strong, they were still too strong, and I just could have ever been in a relationship with a woman. Uh, and I had to be okay with that because I have everything I need in Christ. And if there's anything in this world that we think that we need, then it means that we're not trusting in Christ and finding our fulfillment through Him. So I, I came to a place where I was completely okay with, like, I might be single for the rest of my life, and that's okay because I have everything I need in Christ. Um, and then, however, uh, that's, that's somewhat changed. I've now... Uh, had a beautiful woman in my life for the last three months uh, and it's been a process and it's been something new that I believe that the Lord is in and the Lord is doing a work in both of our lives and uh, it's been really really cool to see and I don't have this insatiable sexual attraction towards her like most guys do when they pursue a woman which is great because lust is a sin uh, and so but as we grow closer together, the Lord is building emotional intimacy with us. 
and he's building uh, physical desire and in, in ways that I've never experienced and it's it's not like this like I said this insatiable just I have to have it right now because I don't want that right now because she's not my wife so that'd be lust but I'm attracted to the godliness I see in her I'm attracted to her character I'm attracted to the way that the Lord created her the way that she serves me and loves me and serves other people and uh and that attraction is what we're building our relationship on. And through that, God is building intimacy. And it looks very different. It's been very scary. And uh, no, I have no idea if, if this is leading towards marriage. I have no idea uh, what our wedding night is going to look like. So we have this culture where, like, especially I feel like amongst Christian guys who are saving themselves from marriage, that, that, uh, um, that your wedding night is like the crowning moment of your life. Which is ridiculous, and uh, and and they have so much built up sexual desire for women, and they just can't wait to light all out on their wedding night. And it usually, I believe that, that that desire is lust and sinful. And usually, when they go into a marriage with those desires, uh, their first few years of marriage are really really frustrating because their wife is never able to do for them what what they had in plan, and they're they. They're so uh, ingrained in just all this sexual desire that it never fulfills them. Well, with me and, and, and my, my girlfriend that I'm dating now, if we go into a marriage, our marriage can be built on so much more than her just pleasing all these sexual desires I have, which I think is a much better picture of the gospel in our marriage than what so many marriages are built on. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I, 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 we've had to have these conversations, and I said, I don't know what our wedding night would look like. I know that I'm not God's gift to women, and I'm okay with that. But I will be committed to you, and I love you, and uh, I will serve you, uh, even if um, our relationship doesn't look like most marriages, which I think is more healthy because it's built on loving each other, dying for ourselves to be with each other. And I believe that that's what Christ had in mind. when he designed marriage, and in my experience so far in this relationship, it's been a beautiful, beautiful thing. But for guys who um, have same-sex attraction or uh, openly gay, if they've accepted, not accepted it, um, marriage should never be the goal. Like, the fact that someone like me, if I were to, to uh, be married to a woman, that doesn't mean that I'm healed. Uh, that doesn't, that isn't like this litmus test of whether something worked right. A healing comes through Christ and through denying myself, and that's the goal is to live life that's holy and pleasing to the Lord. And, and marriage is a gift from God, uh, but not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is holiness, uh, whether we're in marriage or not in marriage. Okay, I have a whole bunch more texts that come in, and so uh, um, thank you. But, so I just don't know if I'm going to be able to get to them all. Um, Some of these I've already kind of answered. Um, okay, so this one says, uh, I agree and disagree with some of your points. One of your main selling points in your discussion is that all sin is equal, so the Christians shouldn't judge the LGBTQ community. Uh, my question for you is, how can a loving and respectful relationship between two people of the same gender be compared to sins of murder, rape, and adultery? So, great question. I, I appreciate that question. Um, uh, 
Yeah, I, I do believe that all sin, whether it's rape, murder, adultery, sexual sin, relational sin, all leads to the same place. Some of it has different consequences here on earth. Um, uh, me murdering someone has way different consequences than me lusting after someone, uh, whether it's a man or a woman. So there's different consequences, but regardless of what the sin is, it's still us taking into our own hands something that only God should have control over. It's us taking for ourselves something that doesn't belong to us. And so, you know, um, I, it's often brought up, uh, but like, can it be a sin to be in a long-term loving relationship between two people? Isn't that just love? How can that, how can that be wrong? Um, and a couple of responses to that is that uh, um, we have to trust in God's word and submit to that. I know that seems like an easy way out, but in the end of the day, that's true. Secondly is that uh, um, when it comes to a long-term relationship, if homosexuality is a sin, then it's no less of a sin if it's with one person for a long period of time. And really with any relational sin, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, this idolatry that I talked about uh, within marriage and relationships, um, heterosexual, homosexual, um, the, the idolatry that I believe is behind same-sex attraction, homosexuality behind uh, a same-sex relationship is the same idolatry that's behind so many heterosexual relationships. And I'm not just asking, I'm not just telling the LGBTQ community that they need to repent of that. I'm saying that heterosexuals need to repent of that also. And, and that it can be just as much idolatry within heterosexualities with homosexuality. But within, in a long-term committed relationship, I still believe that we're still giving someone a piece of our heart that does not belong to them. We're still turning someone to fulfill us in ways that people, that God did not design us to be fulfilled. And that's what God calls idolatry. And I know that it, it feels good, it looks good, and it feels like this is just love, but it's really turning someone to meet needs, to fulfill desires that... Uh, they weren't meant to fulfill, and that maybe we shouldn't even have. And so, uh, um, and we all need transformation there, whether heterosexual or homosexual, so we don't turn to people to fulfill things inside of us. Um, I hope that that answers uh, um, some of your question there and, and my, my thoughts on that. And feel free to text me more if you want to uh, talk about that. I might just get to one more here. Uh, I think that... Um, We've been sitting here for a while, and this has been really heavy stuff. Um, uh, this one says, how do you advise Christians to engage individuals in the LGBTQ community with the gospel? Uh, so I think that this would be a great question to hit this on. Um, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of people have compassion. I understand that most people in the LGBTQ community have been very hurt. They've been through a lot of pain. They've, uh, and whether or not we agree with them or not, we love them and we have compassion for the pain that they've been through. That's what Jesus calls us to. Uh, and, you know, um, last night I was doing a Q&A uh, and um, someone asked a really heart-wrenching question about, because they had been bullied and harassed by Christians, and they, they asked me what I thought about that, and here's what I think about any LGBTQ person being bullied or harassed or put down by Christians. Here's what I told them last, last night, and it still applies. 
The next time you, if you're an LGBTQ person, are bullied by a Christian, call me and I will be the first one to step in and punch them in the face. Because we as Christians have put up with way too much injustice. And we're supposed to be advocates for people. We're supposed to show people that we're for them, not against them. And we have spent way too much time in just overlooking injustices in our world. And sometimes it comes uh, when we overlook injustices to LGBTQ people. And so I play with you as Christians to show people that you're for them, not against them. They might not agree with us. Um, and, and that's okay for all the, those of you here who are LGBTQ people who don't believe in, the, in my, my same convictions, um, that's okay. I still love you, and I would still step in any day and defend you against a Christian or anyone else who's trying to put you down or, or bully you. Because my Jesus that I serve, the God of the Bible, stands in and, and fights for justice for people. And so we as Christians, those of us Christians, I, I, I plead of you, I beg of you, uh, show people that you're for them, that you care for them, that, that, you're, that you might disagree with them, but you want the best for them. Sometimes it's like my heart is torn about telling an LGBT person that I think that their life is sinful because I know that that's hard to hear and it's difficult. And I know what it feels like in that position where it feels like this is just who I am. And I need to accept that. But I do it because I love them. And they might not see it that way. And that's okay. But I want them to have the freedom that I found because I'm for them and I love them. And they might not understand that. But we have to show people, we have to engage with them by showing that we're, uh, we're for them, not against them. Um, a couple more thoughts on that is um, uh, when, when we're engaging with LGBTQ people, uh, let's not define them by that one thing in their life. Like I said earlier, we all need Jesus for a hundred things. Um, let's not focus on just their outward lifestyle. Let's focus on people's hearts, on helping their hearts find the Lord. Uh, instead of just focusing on how their hearts manifest behavior outwardly. We have to focus on what's on the inside, helping their hearts see their need for Christ. Uh, we also just have to be more compassionate and, and careful of what we say and how we say it. Sometimes, I, I, I know so many Christians, I see Christians where they just say really dumb things. And, uh, and it's like that is not helping people find Jesus. It's not helping people find God's grace. Um, sometimes Christians think that they can just throw out all these one-liners. That uh, it's like, oh, I'm standing up for truth by saying... Um, God made Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. If you're a Christian, don't say that. Like, that's not helpful. And it does nothing to show people the love and grace of the Jesus that we serve. And so, uh, we just need to be careful what we say and how we say it. And even know what we're talking about. Um, and know how we define things. Here's a really clear example of that. Uh, if, uh, if, if most of my friends, most people I know who are Bible-believing, evangelical Christians who have a traditional view on, on marriage and sexuality like I do, if, if someone were to come up to them and say, hey, do you believe that being gay is a sin? Um, the, the, the Christian would say, oh, yes, I do, and because the Bible says so. And hopefully they'd have a, a little deeper understanding of the Bible than that. Uh, but they'd say, oh, yes, because the Bible says so. Here's a few verses. But some, so many times they're talking about different things. Uh, usually the Christian I know is talking about 
uh, behavior. Whereas many times the gay person or someone should ask about might be talking about identity and they've never acted uh, on their feelings or desires, but they identify as gay because that's their orientation. That's the, that's the who they're drawn to. And so we're talking about two completely different things. And uh, that creates so many just barriers because uh, our message does not get across and we're talking about different things and it creates confusion in, in conversation and the person who, where that's just their identity, it's like, oh, well, that's a sin. Like, my, I, like and they, they just can't understand it. So we have to be careful what we say, how we say it. We have to define what we're talking about. We have to distinguish between uh, the life that people live versus their identity versus their orientation and attractions and just... I come to the conversation with humility and seeking to understand. So many times we're so quick to want to just tell people the truth, but truly, if you have an LGBTQ friend, loved one, we all have them. Um, uh, if you don't, then you've probably said stupid things that have pushed them away, uh, and that's and you don't know that you've had them. Uh, take them out of coffee, ask them about their life, and Ask them about their journey. Show that you care for their soul. Seek to understand them. And that will go a long way in building relationships. And at the end of the day, you might not disagree, or you might not agree, but at least you can have some respect for each other. And, uh, and they can help see that you love them. Uh, because that's what your posture should be, is, is caring for them out of the love of Christ. All right, I think that that's a really uh, good place to end it. Um, there's still a whole bunch of questions on here that some text I didn't even have a chance to open yet. If you have a question you really want me to answer, just go ahead and shoot, shoot me a text. And, uh, and I'll try to get to it within the next couple of days and text it back and um, engage with you a little bit. And uh, I think that the little cards I, that they handed out have my website on it. You can contact me through that. I'd love to just engage with you about whatever questions you have. Um, so I, in just closing, I hope that uh, tonight maybe you've got a perspective that you've never seen before. Uh, I hope that you've gotten a glimpse of God's grace and God's forgiveness that is applicable to all of us. Um, I hope that you walk away from here um, just with a better picture of who God is and who Jesus is and his intense love for you. Because that's the that's the one thing in life that will change our life that, uh, that that's the most important truth we can ever understand is God's love for us. Um, and how it changes us, even when it's hard. Um, so I, I, I just thank you for coming. Thank you for uh, um, listening. I know it's been a long night, and this is difficult issues, and it's it's difficult things to process, and sometimes difficult to talk about. But we can come together, and we don't have to always agree, but we can talk about it, and we can share what we've learned. We can share what the Lord has done, and what the Lord's truth is, and where that leads us. And um, so thank you for coming and being a part of this. And uh, you're now dismissed. Be sure to turn in your little response cards, and we will go Thank you. Thank you, Brady, so much. Yes, if you guys... Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to go ahead and do the drawing. Also, if you have questions about um, the Vince Retreat or any um, anything about the ministry or questions for Brady, there's information in the back there on the table. And I think Is it Ian Tenna? Ian? Island? 